This is Ideal Futures, a show for creative dreamers, with your hosts, Gina and Sarah. (laughs) That was me taking a pregnant pause. That was a deep breath. That was a commencing ritual. Episode nine. Here we go. OMG. GG. Yeah. GG the three-legged dog scratching gleefully on the rug. So if you hear any scratchy noises, then it's not us scratching, it's a dog. (laughs) Um, Today, we are going to talk about a topic we've been asked many times separately. Um, We're going to try to kind of tackle the subjects of, in quotes, making it and success. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's jazz hands and sparkle fingers around both of those. Mm. Making it. It's very Nomi Malone. It's very showgirls. Mm. Um, you don't even know me. You don't even know mm. me. Uh, yeah, take it away, Sarah. Yes. So when thinking about the ideas of success, of privilege. It's like you say the word privilege and we're both like, Bruh. I know, I know. We're all, I'm all like, can I even talk? Okay. Few words cause a harsher knee-jerk reaction in a certain type of demographic in America right now than using the word privilege. It's like you say privilege and they like freak the fuck out. Like, wah, and like wah. How dare you talk it's to like, me about that? Butter goes and, down. Yep. Butter goes down. Exactly. Um, okay. But so let's talk about it. We got to talk about privilege when we are talking about making it in success because... It's not talked about a lot, and it's often the invisible, you know, the invisible sort of um, vehicle, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, that kind of impacts our, in quotes, again, success, um, or how how well we've made it. Um, You know, I'm going to go right in, and I'm going to use the marathon analogy that if you have not heard, and Gina will help me out... um, This was an amazing analogy that was brought to my attention when I was about 22, and I'm so glad it was because, you know, I hadn't had language around class or how that impacted my everyday life until I had heard this analogy. And it's just that life is a marathon. It's hard. (laughs) We have to do it for a long time. Uh, You know, it takes training and skill and moving forward and stamina and all that. Sustained energy. Correct. And um, some of us have been specifically set up to succeed. That would be, you know, Chad, who's a, you know, 25-year-old straight white guy, six foot tall, very attractive. Parents are doctors and lawyers. Um, You know, all the best schools. Um, He's heterosexual. He's cisgendered. Um, he was raised to believe that he can do anything he wants. You know, his marathon training is the best shoes, you know, the best sneakers, B12 shots, like people cheering him on, like a running coach, you know, he's got it all. So of course the chances he's able-bodied, the chances of him succeeding are just going to be that much more than say someone who's undocumented or trans or black or in a wheelchair or does comes from absolutely no money or is first generation um, you know American citizen whatever all of these things is going to impact so if Chad has like the b12 shots and you know the best uh, sneakers let's just say Esmeralda is trying to run a marathon and bare feet with a refrigerator strapped onto their back you know and that doesn't mean that Esmeralda can't succeed and it doesn't mean that Chad will 
And it also doesn't mean that Chad isn't going to be fucked up or have his own issues <laughs> around like intimacy or, you know, whatever, insecurity. Addiction. I mean, there's so whatever. many Whatever. Yeah. You know, we're not saying that. We're not saying that privilege means um, everything is easy. You know, that's not that. It just Right. Means a marathon is still hard. A marathon is still mm-hmm. hard. So, you know, I think that it's really important to talk about privilege when we talk about our success. And I personally have seen a lot of people in the online world, um, marketing, all of that stuff, you know, saying that they run successful businesses, you know, and what I mean by that, I mean like six six figures like is like the, you know, I run a six-figure business. Um, they're visible, you know, they're well-known or something like that. They're on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're also straight, white, cisgendered people who probably come from money. They don't speak about how maybe their husband supported them for the first year of their business or how they can call up their grandfather, um, you know, to give them rent or, you know, how they have a safety net and how they're also supported by this uh, white supremacist patriarchal system, you know, um, to succeed. Again, that doesn't mean, like you said, Gina, so astutely, it doesn't mean they're going to succeed or, or it doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have all of these things or doesn't come from money isn't going to do an amazing job. We have so many success stories in our country of people who've literally come from nothing, mm-hmm. um, you know, who's who have done incredibly well. Um, you know, that's not what I'm saying. But for people who want to deny that privilege exists, it, it we actually did. It's funny that I think I had a similar metaphor used around the same age. I think I was in college, which is also a privilege in and of itself. And they actually did an exercise with us where we had to sort of stand in a line. And then you got to take a step forward or back for any of these number of privileges. And then we had to run a race from that starting point. And so it was like, yeah, if someone's a naturally gifted runner, they might still win that race. But if they had to start like 10 yards behind, you know, someone else, you you can just sort of really see it and feel it that like, oh, this isn't actually fair. And no one ever said life was fair. So we definitely have to learn how to like live with it and deal with it and work around it. But everyone should always be conscious of the fact that we've all come into this life with certain privileges or disadvantages. And and for those of us, you know, who who have it or don't have it, especially those who don't have it, privilege, I mean, or who have less privilege, we have to stop comparing ourselves to those weird standards that we're just not part of 10,000 exploding emojis of love around this conversation right now right we see ourselves doing it all the time but we have to take a step back and really recenter you know what is what was my upbringing like do I have a safety net am I white straight etc do I have a learning disability you know am I in a wheelchair uh you know am I hard of hearing do I have all of these other setbacks that is are just gonna kind of have us be in our own in our own lane to keep the the marathon analogy uh, kind of going. So again, we just have to redefine our own success. So that's the first thing I'm just gonna really I just really have to say. I also think that transparency, more transparency around people's privileges, would be good. You know, in the sense of, um, like for me, for example, I'm white. I pass. Like a lot of people think I'm straight, uh, specifically because my partner is a trans man, so we pass as a heterosexual uh, couple. Um, I'm skinny. Um, I come from a middle class background. These are all privileges that I have. You know, that helped 
me get to where I am. Um, and I think that I'd love to know more about other people's like privileges. You know what I mean? I didn't have someone giving me money to start my business. I started working for myself, um, you know, fully supporting myself. I moved out at 18 and, you know, um, you know, just worked, you know, just did my own thing. But, um, you know, I've had many, 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 many other forms of support um, and resources, you know, that other people I know haven't had, right? So now we're moving on. Now we're going to talk about success <laughs> and the capitalistic patriarchal white supremacist world we live in. Ah, that's I like how on the conversational episodes we just sing a lot and we sort of make up musical theater songs and uh yeah we're, we make like we're the next Hamilton we're like singing about the patriarchy da, ba, da, ba, da, ba. <laughs> so we're gonna unpack this we're gonna unpack kind of some definitions of success mm-hmm. sort of under that we I think also we really need to unpack collectively and on an individual level we need to unpack why we want what we want mm-hmm. and why we want it. Oh my gosh, that's so loaded. Is right? it because we're supposed to want to be rich or have two cars or be famous? Or is it because Gina, your soul, Gina, inside of you, what mm-hmm. your soul is yearning for, really wants it? I actually don't want two cars like for sure you're like I want 17 yeah (laughs) and I've also always had that sort of weird like I've never wanted the beauty ideal and I know that I'm supposed to want the beauty ideal and it's gotten weirder and weirder because when I was a teenager I just like completely rejected it gleefully and with all this like joy and 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 you know now as a uh, person in my 30s it's become a lot harder and weirder and to really see the way that like conforming to normative beauty standards gives you so much gives you so much privilege in this world and like well and how that's tied to the wanting it right because it's mm-hmm. like if I subconsciously know that if I look a certain way oh yeah I'm gonna get x y and z or I'm going to be afraid if I look if I shave my head and you know I don't know get a tattoo on my face or something um Maybe that's what I really want, but I might be afraid to do that because right. I won't be rewarded or... Not that long ago, people said you would never get a job if you had tattoos. I mean, it's all changed with our generation, thankfully, but thankfully. it used to be... The going wisdom was you'll never get a job if you have tattoos. And Not a, true. Not true Not anymore. true. Mm-hmm. And a lot of... However, going back to the privilege thing, yeah. sorry, I just have to. It's like, if you are... Like, you know, I have friends who have, like, very, very Muslim names or they're from Iran or, you know, they have a name that isn't John Smith. Yeah. And I think about, you know, them handing in their CV mm-hmm. or them... Even just things like that that, you know, kind Impact of play into these decision. things. Um, these kind of more normative again like you said Gina we're moving out of that and thank the goddess it could not be coming sooner but we still have to think about those kinds of things you know a lot of practices and desires that are put on us by capitalism are deeply deeply harmful you know capitalism relies on us exploiting other people having extractive interpersonal relationships stealing people's original work artwork contact ideas for ourselves like it really is built upon this um, base as we know it in this country as exploitation and violence Mm -hmm. literal colonialism stealing Mm -hmm. land resources physical labor and we see kind of the remnants of that like today and how business models are set up it's like pay people the least amount of money for Mm -hmm. you know that you 
as you possibly can or pay the least amount to get something produced or um, people not wanting to pay for certain services like spiritual services or art services or creative services mm-hmm. or theater. And competition. Like I, I love how you how much you talk about competition and that idea that we're all sort of pitted against each other because of capitalism. Totally, totally. And also like being a workaholic, not listening to our body, not listening to what... So- <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, I am a workaholic and I like it, so I... I'm know. a workaholic <laughs> and I like it too and I think we're going to talk about that on... We could talk about the redefining... But I'm not a workaholic because capitalism told me to yeah, be. I'm me a workaholic because I think I have a weird excess of energy. I'm a workaholic because I have 9 million ideas that I want to get done and not enough time to do it. That, like, is, that is the truest. I love working. That is the truest. Okay, let me just like backtrack to you with this whole workaholism thing. I've worked in a lot of companies where the status quo of the company relied on you staying there until... Eight at night, ten yeah. at night, or getting tech texting with your boss at eleven at night on a Tuesday, or coming in, you know, on a Saturday right. or whatever. That's all I mean when I say this, like, kind of perpetuation of workaholism, um, and how damaging that is, not just to our bodies, but even to the idea that we can work that much. Mm-hmm. Because I have serious um, health concerns, and I know a lot of people who do as well and I I actually physically can't work yeah. 80 90 even if I wanted to which I probably theoretically would so there's all of that too there's this like ableist you know mentality built into um, our society and built into capitalism too so these are all these kinds of like harmful um, you know remnants or kind of guiding principles of um, capitalism white supremacy patriarchy um, you know, kind of all of that stuff. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about. We're not. We're gonna kind of keep going down the line here, because now I'm in this point in my life where I'm really trying to unpack my own motivations. Because uh, I've made the most money I have ever made. Um, I'm the busiest I've ever been. Yet I still have so many other things I kind of still want to do. But I also want to reframe why I'm doing it and why I want what I want. So. I daydream a lot like what if we redefine success as being how much we can help people or how much money we can give away, how much harm reduction we could do to other people in terms of relationships, hurting the environment, animals, etc, etc. Like what if a core definition of success is loving ourselves, being in love with life enjoying what we do the majority of the time while also getting to have like eight hours of sleep a night Mm -hmm. like you know just kind of I'm kind of going back to basics a lot more with what I need and what I want and what I how I want my business to function for me in my life and in the world and kind of so on and so forth Mm -hmm. so what about you and that well that um that actually raises a really good question um I mean, that makes my brain explode because I have so many thoughts, which is just like how privileged we are to even be able to have this conversation at this point because we both do have businesses at this point that sustain us so we are able to think about what you know doing what we love and how to make our lives look the way we want them the to the first two which years so many of my people business, do not have i yeah. just was all about getting money like mm-hmm. how am i going to pay rent this month mm-hmm. how am i going to come up with an i don't want to go into more credit card debt how am i going to make money for groceries like the first two years of my business was only focused on paying the bills making rent i was not thinking about my why yeah. so I think a lot of uh, <laughs> no, for sure. you know I was just like I I, I need to survive mm-hmm. like that was that and so the choices I made were 
working for maybe people I didn't love or respect Mm -hmm. or admire, doing Mm -hmm. work I would never kind of publicly put in my portfolio or, you know, having to kind of do those things. And so I also want to take away like judgment and shame Mm -hmm. around people, you know, if people, a lot of people, we talked about this on an earlier episode, Gina, but this idea that you have to be like making your art. Yeah. That's actually, I have a whole thing written about that that I Yay. want to talk about. But first, I wanted to ask you, and this will this will segue into that. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you, on a very personal level, not on the, like, oh, political right yeah. thing to say level, yeah, yeah. how do you define success? Now? Yeah, like, for you right now, how do you define success? Being able to have freedom to make decisions that are nonlinear and that feel good to me. Being able to say no to things um, because I have money in the bank not feeling like I should do something or should say yes, i.e. not doing things always 100% for the money. Um, Having people I respect respect me. So there's this like, I think I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm just speaking it into existence so hopefully we can have this person on our podcast. Kathleen Hanna has this great quote of like, all that matters to me is if my best friends like my stuff. Mm -hmm. So for me having people I admire, like for example, I had a personal success story happen with my most recent workbook because two of the writers in the workbook that I invited and didn't know who are writing for it are some of the most, worst, some of like the most influential in my, you know, 100, 200 person list. So for me, that was a personal success moment. Um, What about you? I have more, but I want to. I, I know, I don't like there's so many. <laughs> Defining success is so complicated. Um, so if we're really being real now, at this point in my life, I I define success as finishing projects. Um, if I have a vision, I mean, see, I'm like, if I if I have a vision, my job is to see it through. And if I put something in the world that didn't exist before, that's its own reward. Like I have to really remember that that is what I wanted was to make the thing and that mm-hmm. once the thing exists that's the reward um, it doesn't matter how much money it makes it doesn't matter how popular it is um, mm. to me the completion is what defines success and I had a really good um, brilliant piece of advice at one point in college from a professor in the experimental theater department who I think was actually a jazz singer theater school is weird I don't know what you know theater school is weird um, and she said uh, and you know she probably was quoting someone else I'm sorry that I don't know the origin of the quote but she said as an artist your job is just to do the work mm-hmm. and the rest is vanity the rest is just vanity so caring about getting good reviews mm-hmm. caring about selling it um, caring about Instagram likes all of that is just ego mm-hmm. and our job is to kind of just you know acknowledge the ego realize that it exists be nice to it pet it and then like pick it up and put it away you know, just pick it up and be like, okay, ego, got it, put it away. Sparkles, um, hearts, rainbows all over this conversation. <laughs> right? So the way I see it, my job is to keep making work and to keep learning and growing and to help my community. And as long as I am putting projects in the world that I believe help my community, then I'm a success. And that is so much nicer than the incredibly toxic, like my, I have a list of notes for this podcast and my notes are like, it wasn't always this way. I had very toxic attitudes about money and success when I was younger. You know, when I was younger, I really and truly felt that I wasn't a real, in quotes, artist because I had side hustles. I had part-time jobs. And in my mind, you were not a real, in quotes, artist unless all of your income came from your art and you were making hella dollars. Like you had to be making so much money. And 
Hello, dollars. Bling, bling, you know, sound effect, sound effect. Um, and the weirdest part is that I applied these rules only selectively to myself. You know? Right, so like, if like your best friend was an incredible singer, but only three people came to her show and she was a waitress or right. something, you I would like, be like, that amazing. is totally valid. Like you're like doing incredible mm-hmm. work. It doesn't matter. I mean, I even had, I think three different artists at different points in my life who were people that I completely admire um, then and now, you know, were telling me stories about like working at the, at the grocery store, you know, while between touring jobs or things like that. And complete respect. Like that to me was totally valid and respectable. I loved their work. I had no judgment at all. I was like, this is what they're doing to make ends meet between gigs. Like, got it. But for some reason, and of course, and I also thought, you know, it would make me think, oh, it really sucks that our society doesn't value art more and that like even an important culture worker like this who is Mm -hmm. in college textbooks is having to work a side hustle to make ends meet. You know, how, how great, what a great equalizer to know that we all struggle and that even so many people that we admire have had, you know, many times in their life that they've worked really, really hard and struggled really hard. Um... But when it came to myself, I was never that nice. When it came to myself, it was like, no, I'm a failure and I haven't made it. And I, you know, I should obviously give up. Um, And that it's like one piece of advice that I wish I could just give everyone is that you've got to reframe that. You've got to change that. You've got to really define success for yourself and do not attach like monetary value to what you're making because it doesn't always correlate. It really doesn't. I'm going to chime in here too, though, with everything you're saying. First of all, yes, 100 million times (laughs) yes. You said that so much better than I've ever heard and I could ever express it. What I will say is you saying this, we also have to just remind everyone listening, this is a like. It's much easier said than done. For sure. You know, like we're our own worst enemies. Like we all are always constantly battling our ego or paying our bills or whatever in this world. So it's years and years of unpacking, you know. Mm -hmm. The other thing though, one of the other bullet points in my brain of how I define success is creative success, meaning like doing a project, a creative project and feeling proud of it. Mm -hmm. For me though, that's been the hardest and I still, I don't think I'll ever feel like I'm a creative success because Number one, I always kind of look at what I've done and I'm oh, like, yeah. oh, that was Oh, bad. I hate everything I've done. I hate everything I've done. But isn't that just the nature of being an artist? Because we're always growing and so we always see how something could be better. But and like, can't we just... Your like, skill level's trying to catch up to your taste level and all that stuff. Can't we also just figure out a way to let us feel satisfied and can... I mean, for me, a lot of the times I blame my lack of creative success on lack of resources, Mm -hmm. lack of time. Like if I had had, you know, an extra week to do this project, it would have been incredible or lack of money. Mm -hmm. If I could afford the spot varnish on my book, it would just be so pretty. Or, you know, like it's usually lack of time and lack of money or resources that, you know, like that, that kind of limits me from wanting to feel 100% really Mm -hmm. great. So what I've also been trying to do is really just coming to a level of acceptance just as you've said, anything I do is never going to be good enough. I'm always going to look back on stuff and be like, it's almost like also our eyes or our vision or our um, interpretation of our own work 
we're just always not going to be able to trust it in a way. we're always so critical of it, for sure. But then I also think that the only way to get that time and the money and the resources that you want is to be prolific now. I agree. So that's why, you know, to all those people who say you got to start, just do it. Just do the thing. Another definition I have is helping others and inspiring others, Mm -hmm. as well as feeling in community and supported. And that is moving up to the top of my list now because... Quite frankly, for many years, all I did was work and Mm -hmm. I didn't have, I mean, I have friends. It's not like I'm, you know, this like hermit alone in a closet or something, but I definitely felt like I just had to work to pay my bills, to get ahead, to get to where I wanted to be. And now some of my new value systems are making time for community, making time for friendships, doing things for free, helping people, um, you know, kind of so on and so forth, you know, Um, feeling proud of what I do, liking what I do, being able to look at what I do and feel okay. Again, that's elusive, but Mm -hmm. it's a process. So these are kinds of all the ways. And also, um, this might sound egotistical, so forgive me, but this is actually a real value system that I have and that's being able to you know my business my apparel business where I sell art prints and apparel and tees called modern women I give away 15 to 20 percent of everything I make to grassroots um, orgs and nonprofits. I think in a weird way and this is a magical conversation that I won't bring into now but because my intention, my magical intention and the magical work I did around that portion of my income was to help people, it kind of had no choice but to be successful. Because in magic and like with money magic, if you're already giving something away, you have to have the money to give it away, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think about that with energy and I think about that with intention and all of those things. But um, that's actually, it's really Mm. important to me to have a portion of the income I make go to help causes and people that I believe in. And I also, to go back to the privilege conversation, in my mind, that's reparations. Mm. Like, I'm a white person. Mm -hmm. My family came here in the 20s, you know. However, I have... um, benefited from my whiteness Mm -hmm. and until the government starts giving out reparations to indigenous people and black people i think all white people should be thinking about personal reparations um to black people indigenous people and people of color in our country so that's kind of part of that as well yeah amazing and it is there is something about the way that community work multiplies too because i Mm -hmm. think with my own project sorority which is a performance series for women trans and queer people um new short works in the little black box theater um that project started with no money at all, but it was out of this sort of generosity of spirit, multiplicity of voices, like really trying to make a platform for people that, you know, didn't necessarily get a lot of um, other spaces to perform, you know, really vulnerable or really political or charged work. Um, and and of course, it's like I did this project that I like erased myself from. It's like I'm almost not even in that project. I host it, I curate it, but then I step back and it's like all of these amazing people come together and create this work. And it became one of the most successful things I've ever done because of that, because of the fact that it was like people wanted to support each other and a community wanted to exist. Like this community wanted to form. Um, you built the structure. You kind of... Uh, right. I think of myself as the container. I'm like, I yes. was the container. I was the container that allowed that thing to exist or, you know, that, that you helped this community it, to form. And you put it, gave it I mean, sunlight. I nurtured the fuck out of yeah. it. But the, but the point is that it's not me. It's, it's others and it's a community and mm. it's a communal thing. And that actually was started with no money, but became extremely successful. Well, and think about how amazing that I, 
ideal. I was like, our podcast name is Ideal Features. I'm saying ideal. But think about these (laughs) ideals of coming from a place of inner dependence and connectivity and support and thinking of other people and making space for other people. Well, because that's a feminist model, right? Because... Like, in a bad way, women have always been taught to make space for other people and to sacrifice ourselves and to, like, you know, build relationships and to make everything feel good and homey and safe and warm and nice. Um, But is that a bad thing? It's only a bad thing if it's forced on us. It's only a bad thing if it's the only side of ourselves we're ever allowed to nurture. Um, But if it's actually, like, if we're actually looking at the world, that's what the world needs. That's the opposite of, of capitalism and patriarchy. 100%, you know? 100%. Well, and the other thing, and now I'm going to get really wack, wacky political, <laughs> but I don't care. I also think something I daydream a lot about is what if we took our resources, and when I say we, I mean queer people, trans people, femmes, women, people of color, black people, indigenous people. What if we took our resources, both monetary, mon- money-wise, energy-wise, labor-wise, Um, You know, this would not happen overnight, but what if we took our resources out of dominant kind of capitalist models and yeah, like made, made, like supported one another in all ways. Well, that's something you and I are always trying to practice, but it's, it's hard. I mean, it's like you can barely leave the house without spending money on something that, you know, is probably contributing to oppression in the world. But for the most part, I feel like that's part of our practice. Totally. And even with this podcast, it's like, we're not going after like crass celebrity guests like we're going after people whose work we want to see succeed financially and politically and emotionally totally totally i mean i'm also like i don't know season three we could have the kardashians on you know you never know listen i'm not opposed to having chris on i really want chris on i've never actually heard a kardashian speak Sorry. Um, so anyway, whatever. We're derailing because we're yes. friends and we okay. talk about what we want. So let's go Business. back to like some, yeah, like how, like we're going to roll our eyes. You won't see this when we say like, <laughs> how did we make it? Because this is a question oh, you yeah. get. You get this, right? How did you do this? Or Well, it's, it is, it was especially interesting back when I was, and this is, this is again, the cycle of artist life. It was very interesting that back when I was struggling as an artist, I got to meet so many of my heroes and they would tell me that they were struggling. Mm. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? Like this is, you are literally the person I want to be. You're the person whose career I most admire. I love your work. Like mm-hmm. you're struggling. Oh my God. And now I'm finding a little bit of the tables turned on that where a lot of times I have young, young folks, you know, in their early twenties or just starting out in their career at any age, um, who want to take me out to coffee and sort of ask how I made it. And I'm like, what, what is that question? Like, what does that even mean? And, and what, I guess the first thought is just, what do they think that I have, you know? Damn. Um, and then, but then on the positive flip side of that, I'm like, what do I have? Like what? Cause a lot of times, you know, I was given lots of great advice throughout my whole life that I didn't actually internalize until now. Well, and I didn't actually see manifest until now. So can I just turn and give them the same tired cliches and the same platitudes and be like this one, this thing you've heard a thousand times, it's true. You're going to have to come to it on your own. Is, You're going to have to go through your own process to get there, but they it's are, true. They are kind of, they are kind of <laughs> true. It's kind of, it's kind of nauseating, but they're like, What's the one like, uh, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life? I know. It's like such a cliche, but fucking true. It is pretty true. Hence our workaholism. Right. We like love we are we workaholics do. because we actually love what we're doing. And the way to not have to do a terrible thing that we don't want to do for money is to find a way to do this thing for money. But it doesn't look at all the way I thought it was going to. Not at all. Nope. 
No. Uh, so, yeah, what's some advice, Gina? No, don't look at me. I want to ask you. Mine is so, <laughs> mine are so, like, here's the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> mine are so unbelievably boring that the minute I start saying them, people right, gonna are puke. just going to be like, what? Because this is the thing. I think people want the magic pill. Right. They want to know, just tell me what to do. I'll do these 17 things and then I'll, you know, be able to support myself and blah, 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 you know, do what I want, et cetera, et cetera. There is no pill. There is no right way to do it, especially if you're going your own way, doing your own thing. But this, you know, and I also, I've said this before on the podcast, I'll say it again. You know, I created a business because I just didn't think that being an artist, meaning a fine artist, was going to be financially, uh, it was because of class. I can't, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't see myself supporting myself solely on paintings. And I wanted to be comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, and I wanted to not worry about money. So I went into business for myself doing other things. So here's the boring things that I did. I did what I was good at, over and over and over again. I did a lot of things that I didn't want to do, as I said before, but I had to for money. I very early on realized that if someone was asking you to work for free, nothing would come of it except for more free work. Oof, truest story. That being said, if it was going to be, in quotes, a good opportunity you know, to work for free on certain things, but make sure that at least you are doing kind of what you wanted to be doing, meaning like you could have a portfolio piece for me because I'm a designer or something like that. But yeah, it was saying no a lot. It was by staying focused, uh, by working a lot, um, by 100% by working on my money stuff, which also involved my self-esteem and my self-worth stuff because Mm -hmm. I was super brainwashed into thinking that if I wasn't making money, it meant that I wasn't successful. Um, And so I had to parse that stuff out, which I did in the first three years of my business um, using a variety of different tactics. Um, I also stopped listening to other people. I stopped Mm -hmm. listening to the podcasts of straight white women whose husbands maybe supported them or whatever, who were following the dominant patriarchal capitalist model you know, people who went to business school or things like that, I just stopped and I started uh, focusing on what felt right to me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I also want to say this other thing that is really boring. It's so boring, but it's like the marshmallow test. Have you heard of the marshmallow no, test? No, but I love marshmallows. <laughs> we'll have S'mores, to do gluten-free graham cracker. Oh, I okay, love sorry. marshmallows. Yeah, they're so really much. good. The Hot little chocolate, the little crispy there. ones oh, and the Swiss Miss. So the marshmallow test is just that, you know, you have um, people, you have kids sit down and you put like marshmallows in front of them and you say, you can't eat this marshmallow. (laughs) I'm going away for 15 Mm -hmm. minutes, but when I come back and if you haven't eaten the marshmallow, I'll give you three marshmallows. Sure. Well, you know what happens nine times out of ten, the kid eats the marshmallow because there, there's a marshmallow right. That in front kid of has them. no self control. You would, you would, <laughs> you would totally. You'd wait for three hours. No, for I more wouldn't. Are you kidding? Any sugar disappears the instant I see it. The point. What I mean by that is being able to kind of um, see the bigger picture yes, and big stay picture. in there and be like, wait a minute. 
um, you know, I got to hang in here. I have mm-hmm. to stay focused. I have to stay disciplined. I have to kind of keep my eyes on the bigger visions that I have for my life um, and my value systems in order to keep going. Because if we're just looking for these quick fixes or these marshmallows, we're just going to give up. Because mm-hmm. when you're starting your own business or working for yourself or starting your own creative career, those uh, those rewards, those marshmallow rewards, especially in the beginning, are few and far between. So, which kind of goes back to what we were saying, like creating what we love, being prolific, like making what you want to see in the world, um, apart from, you know, how many likes it gets or, you know, someone, to, I had so many people be like, when I first started one of my most successful projects, which is these workbooks, so many people were like, you're doing a what about what? That's about what? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they like laughed at me. Yeah. You know, they're like, huh? what uh eye roll you're you know so it's about sort of doing what you feel like you need to be doing at that time Mm -hmm. what are good this is really good advice i don't know i think it's boring i think people don't want to hear it they want to hear the (laughs) right they want to hear like if you wake up every morning and meditate Uh and then do four hours of email but then tell everyone they can't email you until the next month uh it's gonna be different for everyone okay so this is going to sound really weird. Bear with me. I'm sure you've all done the artist's way. I'm sure you've all read what color is your parachute. These are all useful things. Um, what is it that people actually ask of you all the time? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be a very obvious overt thing. Like everyone comes to you for computer help or everyone comes to you for, you know, to help them build things or to, I don't know, like fix their plants or some fix their plants. Can someone come fix my plants? Um, it's a real thing though. Um, And then in other cases, it may be way more abstract. Like, do people come to you to solve their crisis when they're having a crisis? Are you the cool-headed person that they come to for that? Are you, like, the listener friend that everyone comes to when they need someone to confide in? These are all clues. And we talked about this in our last episode. I think it was episode five was the last time we chatted like this. Um, And I encourage everyone to check it out. We talked a little bit about that, about, like, what do you actually want your daily life to look Mm -hmm. like? And what are the skills that you actually bring to the table that people want from you and how can you use those things you know because chances are those are gifts that are coming to you more easily than they come to other people and maybe not to be grotesque and capitalist and be like monetize that monetize that but fucking monetize that like what well, is the way that if you, you can like turn that, it and it yeah. comes, i think this is this other thing where in capitalism we it's like work hard sweat blood you know like grind grind hustle mm-hmm. and if you really just enjoy doing something and you're good at go it go with that river why not go yeah flow river. down that river or it's like even if you don't enjoy doing it but it comes way Easily. easier to you than yes. it does maybe you hate it maybe you're like i hate copywriting but i could do it in my sleep it yep. just like flows out of me and like everyone needs someone yep. to do that and like i don't love it but it's a thing that i can just do without yep. like it doesn't take anything away from me to do it because it just comes from me. Um, you know, shout out to my dad. My dad gave me this like piece of advice the other day about like, which again, it sounds kind of weird when you hear it, but he was like, follow the money. It might tell you something about yourself or something like that. And I was a little bit like, tell you something well, about yourself. Yeah, what does he, is he Yoda but or something? What does he, he mean? So my dad really is like, he should be doing a money podcast, not me. My dad, every piece of advice he's ever given me about money was so good and true and useful but I never could hear it until I was ready, until I went through it, oh, until I lived wait, it. I'm sorry. We should just do a whole podcast called My Dad's Advice. Please, we gotta have him on the show. Because it was all correct, no, but, but also it took me sometimes 15, 20, 30 years to like 
get it. Gina, what? two steps backwards. Okay. What does that mean? It might tell you something? Well, in some ways, I've already lived that practice, which is that there was a time where I was trying to make theater and trying to make plays and trying to be an actor, and people didn't want to pay me to do those things, but they did want to pay me to sing. So I did, in that case, follow the money, and I ended up becoming a singer-songwriter, and I toured. I had you know wonderful years of touring and recording music simply because that's where people wanted to pay me. They didn't want to pay me for this one thing, but they wanted to pay me for this thing that was adjacent to it, so I went with it. To me, I merged his advice with the other thing I was saying earlier, which is like, what is it that people are already coming to you for? Does that point you in a certain way? And then if you can get paid for it, why not just follow that as far as it'll go? Yeah. Does that make sense? 100%. While we're shouting out people that have given good advice, um, I think it was Roxanne Gay, who, you know, from Bad Feminist, we talk about her a lot. Uh, She's like the best on Twitter. Let's get her on this podcast next season. Please, Um, Roxanne. She had, I think she's the one who said this. She's had like a million young writers coming to her and being like, I just, how do I get a publisher? How do I get a publisher? How do I get published? How do I get published? And she was like, do you have a book? And the answer is invariably no. And it's kind of like, okay, so you're chicken before the egging it. I, I mean, I see it all the time with actors too. So many actors being like, I need a manager. I need like a really good manager. And it's like, a manager is going to want someone who's working. When's the last time you did a play? What are you working on? What are you doing? You know, so, um, so doing the things, finishing the things, making the work is always what it comes back to for me. Uh that also if you build it they will come come on field of dreams had it it's true though day one but it's actually true and i think that's where my marshmallow thing of just like hanging in there because a lot of the designs i made that ended up like selling a lot you know on t-shirts or as prints i created two to three years earlier mm-hmm. and if i had created them put them out and it had been crickets and i had in there it was crickets by the way <laughs> and I, if i had and you gave up and I, if i had stopped mm-hmm. You know, you know, yeah, I wouldn't have ended up making part of my living off of them. One thing I kind of wanted to say, I wanted to say a couple things that you reminded me of, Gina, when you were speaking about the thing about doing the work. Um, This is such a cliche. I don't care. If you are not content and happy in yourself and or with your work, No amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of awards, no amount of this is going to make you feel okay. Yep. Because I'm going to be really real. Like I said, for the first couple of years in my business, I was just all about trying to make money. First, just to survive. And then I kind of think I got a little bit wrapped up into that. Oh, if I have more money, it means that I'm, you know, better or something like that before I kind of parsed, separated money from my self-esteem, et cetera, et cetera. And then I got a lot of money and it didn't solve certain things mm-hmm. that I needed to work on. So that's kind of one thing. I think we will put the cart before the horse in terms of what makes us our spiritual health and our, our kind of emotional health and our self-esteem and that. The other thing I'll say just to kind of wrap up for me, for I think I've definitely said everything I wanted to say is... <laughs> When I was young, when I was like 25 or 26, I knew a famous writer and he had won a big book award and I ran into him in a bar and I was like, oh my God, you won the like national book award or, you know, something major and all of the reviews. And he just was like, yeah, like, you know, he's very nonplussed. I was like, dude, like you seem like you're bummed or something. Like, why aren't you just, you know, cartwheeling over here? And he's like, 
why? He's like, I still have to pay my rent. I still have to come up with some book ideas. I still have, you know, 50 years of writing books, which is some of the hardest. (laughs) Writing is some of the hardest, most head-scratchingly painful work to do. Mm -hmm. He's like, listen, he's like, it's nice. It's nice to get an award. He's like, but that doesn't change my life or change Mm. who I am or change what I'm interested in talking about or, you know, change my to-do list, really. And at that time similar to your father and his advice, I kind of walked away from that interaction sort of. Right, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was like, wait, <laughs> but do, isn't getting this award going to stop everything? And you, yeah. The, so the point is, it is about going back to the first analogy we talked about, the marathon, meaning it doesn't, like, n- nice things are nice, but we can't think that it's going to, you know, blow open yeah. our entire existence or not because sometimes it does. Some, But really success is a series of tiny opportunities mm-hmm. taken mm-hmm. and built upon over a long period of time. You oh, know? yeah. And if that award, if the award isn't money, then the award doesn't come with any money. So it doesn't necessarily like make your career automatically take off or your bills not have to get paid. It's like, it doesn't necessarily equal Mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, so it's like we can't put too much of our self-esteem on the bad things or the good things, really. Mm -hmm. Like I've learned that through the years. It's like one person will write me saying I'm like a disgusting piece of poo and next person someone will write me saying I'm like incredible and I've changed their life. It's like I can't change my view of the work I'm doing or, yeah. or who I am based upon you either. almost need to not believe either of those things it's like you almost need to step back from both and not yeah well because again that's all ego like it, yeah. it goes back to what I was saying before about sure one of those things feels really really good and one of them feels really really terrible but at the end of the day none of that should change what you're doing you know I think that's a great place to end <laughs> no I do <laughs> I think that you know we covered a lot of stuff mm-hmm. um I know it probably wasn't what a lot of people wanted to hear. They wanted us to tell them not to check their emails first thing and to meditate for 72 hours a week, which is a good... Which I are don't meditate. My, my New Year's resolution for 2018 was to stop trying to meditate. Yeah. Because my New Year's resolution for 2017 was, to, was meditate. to meditate every day, and it didn't work for me. I so. do. I have to say I do meditate, and it does make my good. life better. But Most I people that I know love it. don't want to force anyone to meditate. So. I, I, you know? Do what feels right. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the biggest advice we keep coming back to each time is like, hey, if you're out there and you're struggling, take care of yourself, take care of your needs, listen to your gut, and your journey is going to be different from our journey. Everyone's path is different, but you probably already have the knowledge inside of you. Ta-da! Boom. I feel like a poster with a cat on it. I feel like, you look like one. I feel like a mountain poster in a frame at a dentist office. That's right. That's right. That's right. Ideal Futures is a podcast created by Gina Young and Sarah Faith Gottesdiener in Los Angeles, California. Theme music is by Romy, our incredible friend. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a sweet review. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it.